0: Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger, and I'm so glad that you are with us. How are you doing? How are you holding up? The family caregiver is an at-risk individual. Think about the toll that this takes on your finances, on your body, on your emotional state, on your relationships, on your job, on your house, on your car, every part of your life is affected by the caregiving journey, and we're here to help mitigate some of that so that you can live a healthier, calmer, and dare I say it, a more joyful life as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com, hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you want to be a part of the program, there's a little form there. You can just send us a note. Tell us what's on your mind. I try to call people back to do that. They're always surprised when I do so. We didn't think you'd call us. I said, "Well, you know, you reached out to me, I'll give you a shout. And if I can, I'm I'm always on the phone doing with Bluetooth. It's easier for me to do that sometimes than write text or email and things such as that. But you may hear me doing laundry or cooking or cleaning the kitchen or whatever in the background. And so cuz I am a caregiver. I remember one time they uh I was going to go up here before the Senate Committee on Aging. I was asked to do this uh, by AARP, actually, had contacted me. said, would you be willing to appear before the Senate Committee on Aging? And the topic was technology for caregivers. Well, they were thinking primarily for technology regarding, you know, seniors and, and life alert and all that kind of stuff. And I told them, and and they vetted me several times. I mean, I had to go through several committees to talk about this, and I ended up not getting it, which I was highly disappointed by because I really wanted to be at the table in front of the Senate committee and, you know, with the pitcher of water, the little nameplate, the whole thing, okay? Now picture me doing this, and I I really wanted to (laughs) to lead off saying – before I begin, I just want to say I did not send an email to that woman. You know, I was going to do that. But <laughs> it would have been the last time I was invited to the Senate committee. <laughs> on aging. But the technology they wanted to talk about were smart homes and things such as that, which I'm all for. And we have a lot of that technology here in our house. But the two pieces of technology that I use the most are a Bluetooth earpiece so that I can always be hands-free. And a crock pot, a slow cooker, I mean, you, you laugh, but I'm telling you, in the morning times, I am up and I'm going and I'm thinking about the, you know, dinner for that night and so forth. And it's just so much easier to cook things in a slow cooker. I mean, today uh, we had a, a breakfast at our church here in Montana, and there was a but uh, with the to honor veterans, we had a bunch of leftover stuff and some ham, and they gave me some of that ham, and I chopped that up and I put it into the slow cooker and added a whole big old batch of pinto beans. And I love pinto beans. Now, I don't know if y'all like them or not, but I do. And and so I cooked it in there with that ham and it's cooking all day today. And I do things like that. I make a lot of soups, a lot of chilies. I make a mean spaghetti, particularly if I use venison or elk with it. And I uh, I make a good roast and i all kinds of things that I do in a crock pot. I make a um, a green chili chicken soup. And I'm talking about all these kinds of meals because today we had three inches of snow. So this is soup weather, you know, and chili weather. Last week we had eight inches of snow, and here it is in just, you know, not even Thanksgiving yet. So it's different up here in the Rockies. And I make a green chili chicken soup that'll blow your mind. And I got the recipe from a friend of ours down here used to run a restaurant and they gave it to my kids to this day will tell you how much they love it. And it's the green chilies, you know, with the diced chicken and cream and sour cream and milk and chicken broth and stock and so forth and garlic. And just, it's a, it's a great soup and it's a meal for me. And I love soup. I'm a soup connoisseur. I just love soup. And, So that's what I do with technology. And and so if you call me or if you send a note to me, I will respond back. But sometimes I'll just call because it's just easier to do that while I'm doing the laundry or mopping or whatever it is that I'm doing out here or in the car. So uh, be patient with me with the background noises, but I'm a full-time caregiver. I've, I've done interviews with major media outlets, you know, while Cooking a roast. <laughs> I remember two that. I did things with NBC one time they called me up there interviewing me and I was but I was in the middle of dinner time and I was like, well, if y'all don't mind the noise and, and I, it was just one of those things where I can't always just stop on a dime and sit there and text or email. You all understand that so uh, that's why I love this audience because they they get it. we're We're constantly moving. I don't even have a chair in my office. I have a standing desk. So when I record the show or interviews that they do, I'm doing a conference this week in Maryland. I'll be doing it via zoom, but I'll do it standing up. I do everything just kind of on the fly moving around. They say that sitting is the new smoking. And I kind of took that to heart because I didn't want to just sit all the time. When I was in Nashville, my office, I had a regular desk and, and I sat a lot because I was writing and, I just, I don't know. I just felt real sluggish about it. So I try to stay moving and active. And I have a buddy of mine in Nashville. We talk pretty regularly. He's an older man. And he one time was exasperated with me. He said, don't you ever just sit down and have a conversation? And I said, no. Why would I do that? I can't do that. I got to be moving and and doing things. And I've said, sorry about the noise, but, you know, those dishes aren't going to unload themselves you know, that, that laundry is not going to fold itself. So I, 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 I like to move. I don't know. What do you do? I mean, you tell me you're a caregiver. You tell me, what do you do? How do you function? Because I don't know how you do this and not be a, you know, whirling ball of energy. <laughs> and, and I get most of the, the big stuff done, by noon because I start kind of fading out uh in the late afternoon. Now Gracie's a night owl, but I I get up early in the morning, I don't even need an alarm clock unless I'm getting up at some kind of weird hour. Because I just get up. Gracie is a night owl and I'm just like I'm I'm just people start looking at me at, you know, about nine o'clock at night, and then they realize, oh, he's gone. And I that's just the way I function. But I get up in the morning, I get ready to go and Get coffee made and breakfast. And, and while I'm doing that, I'm listening to, I'm taking several classes online. They're free at various places. And I'm listening to a wonderful class on C.S. Lewis that I'm just enjoying. And it's, I can do it by audio and I can do it while I'm doing chores. And I would recommend that to all of you. To listen to things like that that will lift you up, that will educate you, it will stimulate your mind while you're doing some of the mundane things we have to do as caregivers. I mean, there's a lot of laundry involved in being a caregiver. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yes, of course you know that. But what are you going to do while you're folding laundry or whatever? Are you going to watch TV or are you going to what? And so I've got a professor friend of mine, a, a retired uh, pastor, uh, army chaplain, And he and I are going through theology classes together. He was a teacher of systematic theology, and he's taken me on. And we get into very robust conversations, which I love. Uh, And it's pushing me to dig deeper into the things of God. As I'm taking a class with, you know, Matt Lewis, and I'm I'm learning things and pushing my mind. Uh, And these things anchor me on greater truths, to equip me as a caregiver and I do all of that while I'm being a caregiver and I'm just you know I like y'all laugh at this but I like to iron sometimes ironing is just very cathartic for me and I will but I will listen to things while I'm doing it and and push my mind while I'm ironing and I can get quite a few shirts done in a very short amount of time and sometimes Gracie laughs at me but I she but I also iron sheets and pillowcases sometimes too You just kind of get into that zone And you start doing it I don't know why I just digressed all this today But anyway, this is my journey as a caregiver I hope it connects with yours This is Peter Rosenberger we got more to go We'll be right back
1: Hi, I'm Rob West, host of Money Wise. Heard here on American Family Radio. If you've listened to Money Wise any length of time, you're aware that we often underscore the importance of preparing for the future. It's one way for Christians to be good stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Well, as you look into the future, I suggest you consider the AFA Foundation in your estate planning. The offerings of the AFA Foundation can help you to shore up permanent income for your retirement years, and at the same time, support the culture-transforming work of the American Family Association. Why not contact Riley Wildman and the team at the AFA Foundation today to see if including the AFA Foundation in your estate plan is right for you. Call 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. Or visit them online at afafoundation.net. Here's Pastor Erwin Lutzer from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks. You know, so often I see even in evangelical circles where you have a great deal of emphasis on human wisdom. Now that human wisdom sometimes is right. For example, human wisdom can diagnose certain problems that people have psychologically and so forth. The problem is human wisdom does not have an answer to the deep needs of the soul. What we need to do is to get back to the Bible. Do we begin to think in human terms as to how problems can be solved? Or do we come to God seeking His wisdom so that the answers that we have for human need and human conflict are truly biblical? Visit thegodwhospeaks.org.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger, and we're so glad that you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hey, I hope you heard the program. If you didn't hear it last week, a special Veterans Day program that we had, my interview with Fernando Arroyo. Please go out to the podcast. You go out to the website. Wherever podcasts are distributed, it's there. You go out to our website. It's also there. And it is called The Shadow of Death. Please take a listen to that and share it. Share it with every veteran that you know. And ask them to share it as well. It is a powerful interview. I gave them the whole hour for the program. And I I hope you'll take advantage of it and go out and listen to it. Gracie and I have spent a lot of time at Walter Reed over the years. And spent a lot of time with wounded warriors and their families. And I, I remember one time I was talking with a guy at the... PT room there at Walter Reed and Gracie sang for the groundbreaking ceremony for the amputee training center they built. This man had both legs amputated above the knee, but he was clowning around, joking, having a good time, talking, making all kinds of wisecracks and everything else. We talked for a while and then I asked him rather pointedly, I said, how are things at home? And that's when his face clouded over, it just went dark. And he looked down and he had his wedding ring on and he said, "Uh, I don't think we're going to make it. He was laughing and cutting jokes as a double amputee. But when you talked about matters of the heart, that's when it really hit him hard. So many people carry external wounds that they seem to be at peace with, but the internal wounds are destroying them. And this is... Something that weighs heavy on me as I try to formulate this show and, and speak to people, write to people, it's the matters of the heart. Yes, the wounds are devastating. They are brutal. They they require a long time to overcome. I remember Gracie's prosthetist told her years ago, she said, Look, Gracie, it's gonna take about eight to fifteen years for you to be acclimated to thinking of yourself as an amputee. It's a long process. But she has, and she's done that. He was an amputee, he still is, with a lot of work, with a lot of adaptive equipment and support. She has overcome that and, and has lived a very meaningful, substantive, purpose-filled life as she has dealt with these terrible challenges of losing her legs. But the matters of the heart, that's a different story. How many people do you know who have devastating heart wounds, relationship wounds, And they can't seem to get past them. What about you? How about you? Have you had such wounds that you can't seem to get past? And so that's the nature of what this program is all about, is speaking to the heart. Because if our heart is a train wreck, everything else will will follow suit. And we may be able to deal with some things on the external for a season, okay, But ultimately, if our heart is a mess, everything else will be as well. It's only a matter of time. And the way I've approached this is something I learned another lesson at Walter Reed with Gracie. I was watching her in two different occasions where she made herself vulnerable, but with two very dramatic results. One of them was a young lieutenant He was in the Marine Corps and he lost one leg above the knee and the other leg uh, at the hip it's called a hip disarticulation it's the toughest prosthesis to make for lower limb amputees and you have to build half of your backside with this because it's you it's all gone there's nothing to to build a socket with you have to kind of reform it we've we've done this in Ghana in fact i think we when we were over there with our team about Ten years ago, we built the first hip disarticulation, I think, that they'd ever done with our team. So it's it's a very complex prosthesis. And this young lieutenant was sitting on one of those curved balls. Uh, it's flat on one side, but it's curved on the top. And he and he sits there to balance and to strengthen his core. And then he throws a weighted ball back and forth with the physical therapist while he's sitting on the, the workout table. And Gracie was watching this, and she decided she wanted to participate in that with him. So she took off her own legs and sat on a ball just like that on the opposite table, and threw this ball—the medicine ball—it's it's a weighted, you know—I don't know what, eight pounds or so—back and forth, and they threw it together. It, it was—it's it's an extraordinary picture that I have of the two of them doing that. Where she made herself very vulnerable and said, "You know what? I'm going to participate in this with you like you." And another time, I watched her with a soldier who was um working out, and she went over to talk to him, and he was laying down on the table. And the physical therapist was at the head of it, and she walked up to him, but he couldn't see that she was wearing a skirt at that time and and she he couldn't see that she was an amputee. And she went over to just to greet him and say, how are you doing? And he snarled at her. He was very ugly to her. And she was a little bit taken aback. And the PT knew her and then knew her circumstances because he'd seen her and and, and she'd been there several times. And he told the soldier, hey, look, you might want to listen to this lady. She's got some things to offer to you. And the guy was swearing and saying, "I, you know, just, well, I won't repeat what he said, but uh, just really was pretty ugly. And if you remember a couple of programs ago, I talked about Gracie's gumption, and she has it to spare. She's a tough gal, I will tell you this. And she held on to one of the parallel bars near her, and she propped up her right foot next to this guy's face. Now, she doesn't wear legs with covering on them, so they look real robotic. And this foot was in a beautiful shoe, because I know I pick out her shoes. Sometimes I take a leg to the store to fit her shoe so she doesn't have to go. (laughs) Then I'll video with her say, hey, you like this one? And I'll make sure it fits. But it's kind of weird walking into a shoe store with a leg. But I've done it, and I've got the footage to prove it. But she's got this beautiful shoe over this prosthetic foot. And this soldier turned his head and saw her artificial foot. And then he looked down and he saw her balancing on her other artificial foot. And she looked at him square in the eyes and she said, you ain't the only amputee in here, big guy. And he held her eyes for a moment and then nodded in understanding. And The two of them had a conversation. He lost his leg due to friendly fire. He, you know, he got wounded by his own team and he was very resentful and bitter towards it. In his mind, he couldn't even relish in being a hero because, you know, it was an accident. It's not supposed to happen. He didn't get hurt in enemy combat. He got hurt by his own team. And it can be, you know, they call it the fog of war. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen in combat where people... Uh, get hurt because things go very wrong very quickly. And he was one of them. He spent some time with Gracie, and the soldier and him manned up. And they had a a powerful conversation, but it started with Gracie making herself vulnerable but also confronting him with her own vulnerability. And I think these are the things that I have tried to adopt into my own life, that you, you take your legs off and you throw a ball with somebody who doesn't have legs or you... Confront people out of your own journey, of your own pain, your own experience. And this is what I do on this program. Emulating things that I observed from Gracie and others, where you expose your own wounds, you make yourself vulnerable, you say, you know what, I'm going to do this with you, and I'm going to do this like you. Because we're all on the same journey. And that's what she did. Or you say, you know what, I'm going to show you these wounds in order to give you a bit of clarity of thought to give you understanding and perspective like Gracie did with that soldier who was so resentful. And that's, I, again, I've always admired this about Gracie is that she is able to somehow coalesce that focus of hers in the midst of all that she carries and all that she deals with to see these things. And, it, and it's not, I don't even think she even really thinks about it. I think it's just so much in her DNA This is who she is. She doesn't have a script. Trust me on this. I've been married to her for 36 years. You cannot script, Gracie. I have tried. She just lives. And she senses this. She does it. She acts on it. It's an extraordinary thing to observe. And I've tried to incorporate those kinds of principles in my life. But you know what? That's really the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. He said, I'm going to do this with you and like you. And then he confronts us with his own wounds, just like he did with Thomas. Here, touch my side, touch my hands. See the nail prints. So that we are confronted, strengthened, encouraged. We have companionship. We have hope in the midst of this journey in ways that that are almost mind-boggling to us when we're in the throes of the injury. He was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Scripture refers to him as such. And so as he identifies with our own weakness, because he became all this for us, he became sin who knew no sin. He did all these things. And this is what penetrates into those deep places in our hearts where we may feel so resentful. Maybe we've been recipients. Maybe you've been a recipient of friendly fire. But you know what? Jesus was the ultimate recipient of friendly fire. In Isaiah, it states that God was pleased to bruise him like this, to do this to him, because justice was satisfied. And a lot of people talk about God's grace. We talk about God's grace all the time. Oh, God's grace. I love that. But we don't want to talk about his justice. But you can't segment God. You don't bifurcate God. He is just and he has grace all at the same time and so much more. And it's not that he looked at our sin and said, Hey, it's okay. All right. I clean you. I, I, I absolve you of this. No, he looked at Christ and said, my justice is satisfied. He looked at Christ and pardoned me. He looked at Christ and pardoned you. But Christ bore the friendly fire. He did that for us so that we can hang on to Him and His righteousness to guide us through these very painful places in our life that are very real. But we're not doing it alone. He does it with us because He did it like us. And that is hope for the caregiver. We'll be right back.
1: Sandy Rios wants to make sure you have all the facts.
2: The enemy right now is Ted Wheeler. Ted Wheeler became an an enemy because he pled with the community to assist in unmasking rioters and members of Antifa. He's asking the public to identify people involved in this, and now they're freaking out, so now they're threatening him with his own life.
1: Sandy Rios in the morning, weekdays at 7 central on AFR. If you miss it, catch up anytime with the podcast at AFR.net.
2: Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message.
1: Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com.
2: Hello, this is Franklin Graham. It's getting close to Christmas, and that means that it's time for Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child provides you the opportunity to fill a empty shoebox with toys, hygiene items, and school supplies for a child in need. The most important thing to send with that shoe box is prayer. Pray for that child, that God will use your gift to touch that child in a very special way. And then we'll take that box, and we'll deliver it to a child somewhere in the world. This Christmas, we'll be delivering our 200 millionth shoebox. And your box might be the 200 millionth, I don't know. But please, pack a box today. We need your help and we want the little children around the world to know that God loves them and that Jesus died for their sins. God bless. National Collection Week is the third week in November. Visit SamaritansPurse.org
1: OCC to get involved. That's SamaritansPurse.org OCC.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you are with us. Hope for the Caregiver.com. Hope for the Caregiver.com. Also, please take advantage of our Facebook group that we have. It's called Hope for the Caregiver. We have a page called Hope for the Caregiver. We've got a group called Hope for the Caregiver. The podcast is called Hope for the Caregiver. The radio show is called Hope for the Caregiver. The book is called Hope for the Caregiver. Do you see a theme here? Are you following along with what I'm trying to do? But the group on Facebook is a great way for you to be able to go and post questions. We've got a lot of great members in there who engage and share ideas and thoughts and scriptures and all types of things. You know, isolation is one of the biggest issues we face as family caregivers. So let's don't be. All right. I'm the administrator of that group. It will not go off the rails. Okay. That I promise you. It's my group. Hope for the Caregiver Group on Facebook. Please go out there today and get involved. And also on our podcast. It's a free podcast. we got 700 episodes. Take advantage of them. And share them with others. Whether it's a pastor or counselor or doctor. Anybody that you know that is touching the caregiving world. Please pass this along. I've got a huge library for family caregivers. And what they tell me. They say it's the largest podcast for caregivers in the world, so please take advantage of it. Many years ago, when I was over in Africa, I went over there with Gracie's prosthetist, just the two of us, to do a trip. We were there for about a week. We treated a lot of patients. We got a lot of things done, and it was a very successful trip. Last day, wrapping up and getting all her stuff, check it out, and the... Baggage attendants at Heathrow Airport decided to go on strike. And at the time, we had to connect through London to get to New York and then get back to Nashville, where we lived at the time. Now they have a straight shot from New York to Accra, so that works out much better. But at the time, you know, we had to go kind of all over the place. And these baggage attendants decided to go on strike, which caused a huge problem for us, and we could not get out of Ghana. And here we are. We're, we're in Africa, and this was before we had a lot of cell phone capabilities, international stuff. This was, this was many years ago. We had already checked out of our hotel. I ended up staying in another hotel that was closer to the airport And I was frantically online trying to get out of Africa. We're using dial up modem at the time. So you can imagine how difficult this was to do. We didn't have nearly the online setup with airlines and so forth that you do now. I was back and forth with Gracie in the United States, and we're trying to work through it, call the airlines, and just to no avail. And we were just stuck there for several days. There was an American Airlines office. We were trying to, because that's who we booked it through, and then they partnered with um, British Airways. And I was back and forth at American Airlines office, trying to get that happen, trying to, anything I could do, manipulate, cajole, entertained, song and dance, anything I could do to get us on a flight out of there. And nothing happened. And I just had to sit there. I looked over at my friend. He'd treated Gracie for years. By that point, and I said, look, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. He said, well, we've done all we can do. We're just going to have to ride this out. And after a couple of days, it cleared up. We, we got to the airport, which I, I truly hate going through international airports. But I, I do the best I can to bite my tongue and learn to like the taste of blood. We went to JFK. Then we had to go to LaGuardia. Then we had to go to Chicago. Then we had to go to Nashville. And then he had his prosthesis on during all that time, and his leg was hurting, and I felt bad for him. And then it was his birthday. And I just felt horrible about the whole thing. He's still my friend, and we, st- we just talked last week, and, and we love him dearly, and he's a very gracious man. But I still haven't gotten over this, and i I got to admit, I kind of carry a grudge against the baggage union of Heathrow. <laughs> I mean, I just, at British Airways, I I still have a grudge against that. I'm sorry. I have to work on that. But I thought about that trip a lot and the straining I was doing to change a set of circumstances that were unchangeable. This was not going to resolve itself by anything I was doing. It was so far beyond my control that however uncomfortable it was and however frustrated I was nothing was going to change that. And I did. I tried everything I could. I called in favors, manipulation, you name it. I've done it. And I have a pattern of that, I'm embarrassed to say. But remember what we talked about before. Gracie took off her legs to throw the ball back and forth with the soldier. Well, I'm going to do the same thing. And I'm going to show you that this is a, this is a struggle that I've had for a lifetime, where I will run with an idea or thought, and I will try to make it work. I will tr- I will put this round peg into this square hole. And over the years, when I've done these sorts of things, it's always ended up causing nothing but stress and misery and anxiety and frustration for me. And like I said, I'm embarrassed to say it. But I've done it. More than one occasion. And I look back at that trip to Africa as a real aha moment for me, if you will, where I saw my behavior come up short, not my results, my behavior, the way I responded to it. And I put myself and others through unnecessary stress. Due to something that was way beyond my control. Period. It was an unforced error, like you know, in, like in baseball. It was just an unforced error. I did not need to react the way I did, and I I do. I look back at that with a, a great deal of cringing. And I thought about this verse in Jeremiah twenty nine. Now everybody knows Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You know, for I know the plans I have for you. But go back a couple of verses. Now the context is the Israelites are in exile and they don't want to be there. They want out. And they're appealing to God to get them out of this. Bail me out. Rescue us. <laughs> get us out of here. And and I got a taste of that when I was overseas, because it's one thing to be stranded in an airport in the United States. It's another thing to be stranded in an airport in another continent. And you you ain't going anywhere. And that's exactly what Jeremiah told these folks. He said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They weren't taken off by accident. God sent them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage And what he's telling these folks, sit tight. I sent you there. Make the best of it. Live your life. Build your house. Plant your vineyards. Get married. Get your kids married. Have grandchildren. You sit tight. And you pray for the welfare of the place where I sent you. Because if it's doing well, you're going to be okay. And don't listen to people that said, oh, you're going to get your breakthrough here. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. Don't listen to them. He said, I didn't. I didn't send those people. That's what he's saying right there. It's right in the text, Jeremiah 29, nine nine. And what does that mean to us as caregivers? I want you to imagine, given what you know about me, how many times I have manipulated, cajoled, reacted, stressed out, panicked, freaked out, all the fill in the blank of whatever you want to use to describe my behavior. And you would probably be accurate over these 36 years. I have screamed, cussed, fussed, cried, hollered, pouted, all of the above. God, do something about this. God, fix this situation. Now, let me tell you I had zero impact on baggage handlers at Heathrow International Airport. How much impact do you think I had? on the Almighty. How much do you think God considers my demands when He makes His decrees? How much do you think my petulance in any way sways the King of Kings, the Alpha and Omega? If I had zero power over baggage handlers at Heathrow, you know, (laughs) I mean, honestly, And I have the benefit of hindsight now to see this. But as a caregiver, I can tell you in my heart, I take this scripture way down deep in my heart to recognize that God has sent me here. God is involved with what I'm doing. And I don't understand why Gracie has to suffer the way she does. But I can tell you this, this is not outside of the purview of God. This is not outside of his decree. This is not outside of his sovereignty. Now, you'll hear this theme periodically in in my program. Hopefully, you'll hear it regularly because that assurance is what anchors me to know, okay, I'm going to trust him. I don't like it. And I don't know that he asked me to like it. He invites me to trust him. You know, Jesus himself didn't like the cup that he was going to drink. When he was in Gethsemane. But he bent his will to the Father. These Israelites in exile. They didn't like it. And God said. This is the way it is. Deal with it. And here's how you're going to deal with it. Even to the point of praying for the welfare of the city. Where they were in exile. Even. To the point of praying for the city. Where they were in exile because He sent them there, and His purposes would be accomplished. That same God is actively involved in your situation as a caregiver and in mine, and His purposes will be accomplished. Now, we can kick and fuss and everything else, but it's not going to change Him. As the wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, states, Thou changest not. But he also goes on to say that thy compassions, they fail not. How about if we talk about that a little bit more in the next segment? This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization Standing with Hope. When my wife Gracie gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs they go walking and leaping and praising God, you can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com.
2: One growing trend in our society is an entire industry developed around emergency preparedness. Ads warn viewers to stockpile food and prepare a plan for a time of future disaster. Now, while physical preparation is wise, it is temporary. Spiritual preparation, though, is essential because it is eternal. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. This week, we've looked at what Jesus said about future wars, rumors of wars, and other end times warnings. Jesus told us not to be alarmed, that these conflicts must take place, and that these wars are not the end. Now, in Matthew 24, 45, Jesus used a parable to highlight our response. He asked, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Our response to conflict is not fear, it's faithfulness. We must serve and not swerve. We must stand in faith, not fall in fear. Observing Christ's warning should drive us to clarity and holiness, not confusion and paralysis.
0: But the nails are not what held him. It was love that compelled him to give his life so That is Heaven's Not the Reason by Scat Springs and Gracie. I wrote this song with my friend Hank almost 30 years ago. And thank you for indulging me on playing that a little bit longer. I love that song. This is Peter Rosenberger. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. We're so glad that you're with us. Heaven's Not the Reason. And I wrote that for a couple of reasons because I kept hearing people at that time. It just kind of kept pulling at my ear, people saying, you know get saved, you go to heaven, get saved, go to heaven, get saved, go to heaven. But there wasn't this in-between. What happens in between? From the moment of salvation that you accept Christ as your Savior, you place your trust in Him, to when you get to heaven. So what are you doing? Saved to what? Hang out here until we go home? What what happens there? And I thought, you know, this, this fire insurance doctrine that people had, you know, I just don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Well, okay, I get that. But I remember, again, when Thomas fell on his knees before Jesus, the risen Savior, and he saw his hands and his side where the wounds were, and he said, My Lord and my God. He wasn't talking about heaven then. He was talking about the presence of Christ, which eclipses all of this. And I think that, for me, was what inspired that song. And Gracie and Scat did a wonderful job on that. It's on her CD, and I love it. My friend Hank Martin and I wrote that together. Uh, I had this idea. I started working on it, and Hank came along and helped me kind of fine tune it and craft it. And I, I love being able to do that. I hope we get to write some more. I'm working on writing some more songs in my spare time. Uh, but anyway, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, thank you again for for indulging me on that. And I, you know, music's such a huge part of my life, and I appreciate you all letting me share that with you. My pastor out here in montana was talking to the congregation the other day he said how many of you all have ever heard peter say that he really loves this hymn you know because i say it over every hymn i love every one of them i just love the hymns of the church and this so they all say that to me now because is this one you really love i I love them all they like to kid me but i do i love them all i was listening to a piano solo by a friend of ours daughter she played at church sunday and it's a hymn that ties in so much of what I talk about on this program. This is one of those 25 hymns that I think every Christian ought to know. See if you know this one. And if you don't, I would, I would love the privilege of introducing it to you. Let me step over here to the caregiver keyboard. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. not be all else to me. Save that thou art. Thou my best thought. By day or by night. Waking or sleeping. presence my light and listen to this last line from the last verse heart of my own heart whatever You know, I started out playing in church when I was just a little boy. I started playing when I was five. And I remember a lady at the church where my dad pastored in Atlanta, and she heard me play some years later. And I would go up after service and play the piano. But I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't very good. I was just banging on it. And she came up to me years later and she said, when you were a little boy, I said, Lord, please make that boy stop playing the piano. And And she looked at me, she was very sincere. She said, I'm sorry I ever prayed that prayer, and I never want you to stop. And I I appreciated that very much, what she said. And I I can't tell you how important it is for us to teach children these hymns and let them play in church, give them the experience of standing up in church and singing and playing their instruments, let their voice ring out. You know, kids today in in music, they're either going to learn how to play in a church or they're going to learn how to play in a bar. Which one do you prefer? And church music is so magnificent. And and, and I I I I can't stress enough the importance of training up the young people in this church in these hymns, not just songs that are self-reflective, but to really steep them in. The the music and the text of these great hymns that are sitting there sometimes in a dusty hymnal, pull it out and explain that. And as I was able to tell this to our friend's daughter, and I was saying, "Okay, here's what this text means right here, and see how you do the chords with it, and you can weave all these things together." And and she has a beautiful touch on the piano, uh, and and it was just wonderful to hear her play it. You know, how many kids do you see playing in church today? I mean, think about it. How many children, teenagers, do you see getting up and playing skillfully? Not just strumming out, you know, three chords on a guitar, even though that's important. Let them start doing that. Anything to start them on that process, but shepherd them along with it. Talk to your music minister at your church or whatever and see what kind of programs they have. And if you're a musician, pass it on to someone else because these things. You know, if we don't, well, what are they going to play? What are they going to know? What are they going to sing? What are they going to, what are they going to bury in their heart when things get brutal? I mean, look at that lyric. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Whatever befall, how are we going to teach the next generation to stand firm? Whatever may fall. Now think about that. How do you stand firm, whatever may befall, as a caregiver? And if it's strong enough to sustain you, then pass it on to others who can also have that same conviction. And as we talked about in the last block, when Jeremiah was saying to the exiles, hey, be still. You're going to be there a while. Have children. Have grandchildren. Well, what do you think they were teaching those grandchildren? They were teaching them these same things that these hymns are talking about. In one verse, it says, Be thou my shelter, be thou my strong tower. O raise me thou heavenward, great power of my power. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. And that last verse, great heart of my own heart, whatever befall still, be thou my vision, O ruler of all. You know, a lot of people uh, feel like this hymn was written, the text was written in like the 6th century. There's some argument whether or not it was the sixth or the eleventh, regardless. That's over a thousand years ago. I mean, think about what was going on over a thousand years. This this text has endured. And that's the kind of thing that you want to teach your children. If it's endured for over a thousand years like this, I mean, isn't that worth passing on? And it is, of course, it's a beautiful Irish tune. You could tell that the way it's structured. You know, it's a great Irish tune. But it's it that text is is phenomenal and is worthy of passing on because sometimes you, your children, or your grandchildren are going to have to stay put in a situation of whatever may befall kind of thing. And if they don't have something that anchors them to the eternal, that strengthens their soul, knowing that God has decreed certain things that this is going to happen, but He's not going to abandon us, but this is what's going to happen. Now, you're certainly free to fight against it like I have for many, many years, but may I again remind you that that didn't work out so well for me, and I don't recommend that particular course of action. Teach your children that there is a great sovereign Lord who has not abandoned them. And they can trust him, even in very uncomfortable places, as the Israelites trusted him in exile. Now, as they read that letter from Jeremiah, you know there were some that says, I don't want to hear that. That's that's not cool. (laughs) But I think Jeremiah had established enough credibility as a prophet that he had heard from the Lord, and this is the way it was. And the people acquiesced to that, and they were obedient and trusted that God would bring them home at the appointed time that he set. Even if they didn't see it, their children or their grandchildren would, and they trusted him for that. You may not see the kind of deliverance in your life today that you would really like to have, but your children or your grandchildren can receive that promise of that to hang on to knowing that God is sovereign in these circumstances. My children and my grandchildren may not see in this lifetime Gracie recover fully from all this. I never discount what God can do. But it appears that this is the journey for Gracie and me and we're invited to trust Him. And our children and our children's children will see that we're doing that in the midst of this, whatever may befall. So in those times when they are beset, when they are struggling with things, they will remember back to those who trusted the Lord. And as Hebrew says, and when appropriate, imitate their faith. Pass that on to your children. Pass that on to your children's children. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. I want you to know how much I appreciate you spending time with me today, and I look forward to our next program. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time.